listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your co-hosts, Andrew Forbes, Peter Barracchini, and Alex Hobson. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sticks in the Six as we close out season two in the next couple of weeks here. Boys, it's been a couple of weeks since we jumped on with each other. Obviously, Peter, you were down in Montreal mm-hmm. for the NHL draft. We'll get into that in just a moment. But before we do, obviously, I'm Andrew Forbes here with Alex Hobson and Peter Barracchini. Uh, Alex, take us through your week, buddy. How's how you been? It's been a good week, boys. I'm uh, I'm back at I'm back at work at my summer job. Um, just, which is nice, not necessarily the job itself, just the fact that I'm making money consistently again. Um, and I always love this time of year to begin with, like even without, you know, today and what went down today, I always like this time of year between the draft and free agency. So I was already in a good mood, but this year and specifically today for free agency was the first time I've ever legitimately been able to justify staying home to watch free agent frenzy because <laughs> I was helping out with the hockey writers news coverage today. So did a couple of quick news hits, did one on Kemper, did one on Adam Gaudet, which I'm going to, I'm going to find the stats for this. Cause this is just hilarious. Anytime somebody ever asks you, why is it always about the Leafs? Just, just tell them about this. Um, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, growing up, I was that classic Canadian kid hockey fan who would, I, you know, I'd, I'd come home from school early to watch the, watch the trade deadline or whatever. I, I, regardless of what I'd be doing on Canada day on July 1st, I'd always be sitting in front of the TV watching free agent frenzy. So, uh, yeah, to, to call into my, my regular day job and say, Hey, I can't make it in today. I'm going to be, I'm going to be covering hockey and watching free agent frenzy all day. That was pretty sick. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been a solid week for me and sorry, real quick. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so I wrote, I wrote three news hits today. I wrote, Colorado Avalanche signed Josh Manson to a four-year contract. As of right now, 317 views. I also wrote Washington Capitals signed Darcy Kemper to a five-year contract. 360 views. Finally, I wrote Toronto Maple Leafs signed Adam Gaudet to a one-year contract. Almost 3,000 views. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to... It's all about the Leafs, man. I tried to strategically plan out the players that I signed up for. Uh, for guys that I thought the Leafs were going to go after. So I've got, I'm signed up for Dylan Strom. I'm signed up for Zach Aston Reese. Obviously both of those guys are still unsigned, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun today. Just sitting back, uh, taking in, taking in trades or not trade center, taking in free agent frenzy and just uh, uh, talking about hockey all day. It's been fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, Peter, you've had a couple of busy weeks, but take us through how you've been, buddy. Yeah, it's uh, it's really been busy, especially the last few weeks of the draft. Um, you know, r- tired at the same time, but you know what? Really uh, exciting to attend the event. You know, always on the go, updating the tracker live, getting in some media uh, scrums as well. Talked to Fraser Minton and Nic- Nicholas Moldenhauer as well. That was that was really fun, and also just meeting up with family. Um, it's really weird because obviously with COVID going on, I never really interacted with anybody, right? Except for some of my friends here, but with my family in Montreal, um, got to meet up with them and I ate in a restaurant for the first time, man. I had to take my mask off or like lower it and it felt so weird to do so, to like drink and eat and everything. I'm like, man, two years, this is what I've been dealing with the whole entire time. I've never gone to a restaurant, never gone out and eaten in public. And that was the first like, big step for me kind of thing. So that was, that was actually entertaining. And it's kind of said that that's going to be the highlight 
of my trip eating without a mask on. So, <laughs> but yeah, you know, fun drafts. It, I mean, entertaining drafts because we all know what went down. You know, the Slavkovsky pick, Shane Wright dropping a fourth overall. Um, yeah, got, got to meet up with some of the online scouts that I talk with regularly, uh, talk with them in person as well. So it's great to meet online friends or people I meet online in person because we're not doing it through a computer screen. Hopefully I get to do the same that with that with you guys at some point too. So yeah, really fun. Um, obviously I was a little bit exhausted when I came home. I know I rushed in to do a show with Alex, uh, as soon as I came in, uh, I was probably just in like, you know, scrappy clothes, but Hey, you know, fun times life on the road, I guess. Life on the road. I'll tell you one, one thing I was always told in J school when I was, uh, when I was doing my master's was always have a box of granola bars in your bag because you're you're constantly on the go and you never have time to sit down and eat. So um, both (laughs) chocolate chip and like apple pie kind of granola bar from Quaker Oats. Those two are the bomb. I I had that uh, in handy all the time, man. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, it's been a long three years when the highlight of your trip was uh, taking your mask down to uh, yeah. eat in a restaurant so <laughs> but uh yeah i know um some great content from from all you guys at the at the draft there was a lot of coverage from the hockey writers mm-hmm. and and uh again great great uh great rundown this entire season of getting us through the 2022 draft uh peter i mean obviously you headed that and and uh again both to both you guys great work at the hockey writers mm-hmm. uh here on free agent frenzy day one um my week has been you know Pretty, pretty plain, pretty simple. I, I did have something I wanted to bring up, but, uh, you know, I'm getting old, so it's, it's, uh, it's kind of escaped me, but, um, <laughs> I have to say, I, I am dabbling a little bit in what they call the hobby of collecting some cards recently and bought myself uh, a little hobby box and started going through it. And a couple of, couple of nice pulls, at least on my end, uh, I got a, uh, Ross Colton, uh, young guns, Going for like 35, 40 bucks right now online. So uh Stanley Cup champion there. Uh Ross that could Colton. Value. That's right. That's right. And then I also got this Mitch Marner uh honor roll. So I thought that one was pretty pretty sweet as well. So there you go. There, there's there you your go. pulls for the week. Uh that's uh a shout out to James at Offside Hockey because he loves he loves his uh his hobby <laughs> talk. But um yeah, boys, it's it's been a long couple of weeks. Obviously, we had the draft, Slavkovsky. It was it was a it was a big, big moment for Slovaks as the, uh, as, uh, you know, Nemec went, uh, number two. So, um, some great stuff there, obviously Shane Wright drops to four with the Seattle Kraken. And, uh, you can almost see the death glare in his eyes when he hit that stage is he's ready to prove everybody wrong. And I, I, I absolutely love that story. I, I, I was just going to say, I like, I, there are a lot of people, particularly from a certain generation that, uh, bows down to Don Cherry, um, that <laughs> said, Hey, I'm sorry, man. Like it's the, tr- it's, the you had truth. to stereotypes, <laughs> right exi- stereotypes exist for a reason. That's all I'm going to yeah, say. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, uh, there were a lot of people in that demographic that were not happy with Shane Wright and said, Oh, maybe that's why the Habs didn't pick him because of attitude problems. And, you know, in a sense, yeah, this guy's probably been told the entire time that he's going to go first overall. So it was probably a little bit of a shock when he dropped down to fourth, but you know, I, 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 I saw people ripping into him for saying that he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. And I was just kind of confused by that. Cause you know, if, if you were in his position and you fell the fourth overall, would you not have a chip on your shoulder too? Like, yeah. 
I, he didn't say anything disrespectful there. I think he was just mm-hmm. acknowledging that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I thought that I was going to go first overall. That's what I've been told. That's what, you know, I, I got that vibe from Montreal. So yeah, going fourth overall, I do have something to prove now. And I, I'm not really sure how people took that as disrespectful, but. Well, the crazy thing too, is like, you know, it's not like he dropped to number two, he dropped th- like three spots yeah. from where he was supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And and I, I love it. For me, it's telling me that this guy wants to win. This guy wants to be number he one. Does. This guy wants mm-hmm. to, you know, um, come out on top every time. And, and you know, it is a bit of a blow. It's a kick in the nuts, right? Like this whole time he's been, he's been, he is the destined number one pick. And all of a sudden, you know, whether it's recency bias or, or Slavkovsky just fits into that, uh, that uh, Montreal system as being, you know, a winger for, for somebody like Nick Suzuki. Um you know, it, it, it just, it, it's not what Wright expected. And, yeah. and for him to come out and be honest, I think that was, that was almost refreshing, right? Like, um, and I, I put in our notes, a uh, quote of the week, Shane, right. I saw somewhere that he had said, like, as a, you know, little bit of a joke that, uh, um, yeah, I grew up watching the Seattle Kraken. So I'm very excited to be a part of their organization. <laughs> and I just like, to me, That's that perfect, just, it goes to show you the, the, the personality that he has, right. Yeah. It's, it's very much Austin Matthews when he, lighthearted. he has those little lighthearted comments, you know, when they played in front of the empty barn and he's. He's in there saying, yeah, the, the crowd was great tonight. And, you know, it's, it's those little things that keep you refreshing. We're, we're tired of the, of the cliches and, and for him to come out and say things like that, I think it was great. It was, it was great for the game. It was great for the draft coverage. It was, you know, it, it was great for the crack and to get somebody with a little, little bit of personality as well. Yeah. And they've got without a doubt, I think one of, if not the best one, two punch of defensive centers they in the league right now with right and veneers. Like I was taught, I was, ar- I was already worried about having to deal with that in the Atlantic division with the Habs taking uh right and Nick Suzuki. Like I thought they were going to, um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's going to be equally, if not more dangerous in Seattle with veneers. I'm still kind of surprised that, you know, Arizona took Cooley. I, I think Shane Wright is obviously, you know, Cooley plays with a little bit more bite. We saw that at the juniors, but I think right overall, his IQ and presence, I think probably would have benefited the Coyotes well. But yeah. then again, you know, it, the draft is really weird like that. And I, I got a, like, a little reminiscent of the year where it was McKinnon and Jones battling for first overall. And Jones looked to have gotten first overall or some nods first overall over McKinnon. Very minimal, but there was a chance, and he dropped a fourth. So it kind of reminded me of that, where maybe Shane Wright, again, like you said, has that chip on his shoulder at this point. Yeah, I'd have to guess that uh, the Coyotes probably interviewed Cooley and took some extra time doing their homework on him under the assumption that Wright wouldn't be available at three and they would end up taking Cooley Mm -hmm. regardless. And then when Wright fell, maybe they were just like, well, you know, there's an argument to be made that he's got more upside than Shane, right? He plays with a little more bite. Like you said, we already know the kid, you know, he seems like he wants to buy into this vision. Maybe that's why they took him over. Right. Uh, I'm obviously, I I'm speculating as if I have any idea what the coyotes are doing, but um, yeah, that's, I, I'd have to imagine if there's a reason that they passed on Shane, right. It was probably something like that. Maybe they were too concerned with what Shane Wright was going to do on ASU's campus. I don't know. Yeah, they were probably worried about the <laughs> signing bonus they were going to have to pay him. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, but uh, no, it's uh, it's good. It would have looked great though. I, you know, Shane Wright and Austin Matthews in a couple of years down in Arizona, but um, <laughs> too soon, too soon. 
Uh, it's oh, we're it's gonna get a, into that though. It's it's been a while, guys. I I, I need a, yeah. I need to crack a few off the top here just to get comfortable. After today, again. it kind of feels like Maple Leafs are going for full on rebuild today. So yeah, yeah. Welcome but, back to welcome back to Sticks in the Six. Today we're gonna talk about the draft, free agency, and whether or not Austin Matthews is leaving for Arizona for the fucking seventy seventh time. Yeah, oh, no man. kidding, no <laughs> kidding. But uh, boys, let's get let's get into the draft. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, Peter, obviously you were there. Um, the Leafs did trade down. They they were able to get rid of Mrazek's deal. Um, a lot of people, you know, crucifying Kyle Dubas once again. It seems to be the trend of the trend of the last week and a half. Um, you know, just to, to to throw him under the bus and say his job's already gone. When uh, you know, re- realistically, he moved down thirteen spots to to take um, you know Fraser Minton and uh, passed up on the twenty fifth overall pick. In doing so, moved Mrazek's uh, contract at you know, another two years at three point eight, and and that's just the uh, the cap hit. The actual salary, if you look at it, it was a backloaded contract. The mm-hmm. money owed to Mrazek over the next two years is is much higher. But um, I want to get your thoughts on it since you were there. What was the what was the feeling in the room when uh, you know the, the Leafs made that deal to get rid of Mrazek's uh, contract? Um, you could tell that everyone was like, you know, not, not expected, but at some point it had to be done. Right. Like it was like, everyone was just like, it it had to be done. Like that that was a consensus with everyone that was around me. We were talking and it's just like, if he didn't do that move and kept Mrazic's contract on, he would have been crucified even more saying, well, what scenario would you like better? another two years of Peter Mrazek's contract at what it is right now and take your pick of who you could have had either Owen Beck, Jager Furkus, Yuri Kulich, one of those guys and still keep Peter Mrazek or get rid of the contract trade down and get a pick early on. And apparently that I, I that was the right move. That was the right move. Cause in a freed up cast space. Yeah. We'll get to the Matt Murray deal in a sec or later on, but to trade down and get Fraser Minton, uh, when I would like when we had our interview or like media scrum with Fraser, I asked him, you know, what was the chat like leading up to the draft with the Maple Leafs, and he's just like he, they were very high on like he was very high up on their radar. So, considering that they traded down and they selected him early, chances are if he whoever they were going to get at that point, obviously. Um, I had my own list, uh, but, you know, they liked Minton. And, you know, he kind of fits that mold of where they want to go with the smart IQ. We, we, we talked about how they used video to interview the players and give them certain scenarios of what they would do. And they must have liked what he said because he ha- he is a smart player even this year in Kamloops. Very, very smart. Um, great positionally, great size. He has that power forward game to him too. So, he checks a lot of the boxes for the Maple Leafs and he's still got some upside to do and, or some upside, still a lot of growing. He's not in any rush to make the Maple Leafs. He's going to develop and he's going to do what he needs to do. So overall, great character, great mindset, great attitude, high IQ, basically what the Maple Leafs wanted at 38. Yeah. We have to remember too, at the time there was no, no idea what the Leafs were going to do in that. So there was a possibility that maybe they go back and sign Jack Campbell, which again, we'll get into in a little bit here, but you know, to, to rid themselves of 3.8 million over the next two years, um, it, it, 
was an important move for the organization. And, and Alex, uh, I, I want to get your thoughts quickly before we move on to, to the Leafs draft as a whole. Moving Mrazek's deal, I mean, obviously it was a mistake. We all, we all kind of know that Dubas made a mistake in signing that contract in the first place. But how big of it how big of a moment was it for the organization to, to, you know, not only move his contract, but only drop down 13 places to, to get it done. Yeah. I mean, obviously depending on how you look at it, the narrative is always going to be, Oh, the least have to trade a first round pick to get rid of a bad contract again. And it's like, you know, there were prominent members of the Toronto media who were spinning that narrative. And yeah, I guess that's a lazy way to look at it. But realistically, like you said, Forbes, they only had to drop 13 spots and you know, the one thing that I've always, I've always respected about Kyle Dubas and I've always, um, I've always sort of admired about the way that he carries his business is that when he makes a mistake, he, he fixes it. He doesn't just sit there and dwell on it and hope that he gets results eventually just so he can prove to the fans that he was right all along. Um, he, he, he fixed them. Well, I'm not going to say fixed, but you know, he didn't pursue the Felino mistake any further by re-signing him. Um, he, he let Felino walk to Boston and look how his contract there is looking now. Um, he's, he's done things like this in the past where, you know, if he has to, if he, if he has to correct a mistake, he'll go ahead and do it. And, you know, I have to imagine that if Kyle Dubas held on to Peter Morazic this year and um, gave the, you know, the cliche, Oh, we believe in Morazic. He's a very good goalie. We were firm in our belief that he's going to bounce back this year, et cetera. There would have been people calling for his head anyways. So, you know, like it or not, moving down 13 spots in the draft to get rid of that 3.8 million is a win in my books. And obviously, we'll talk about Murray a little bit later. But I think the difference that you can you can separate between Murray and Mrazek is the ceiling. Murray's been somewhere where Mrazek hasn't been, and well, like I said, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, I think that's the one thing for me that you know, there's obviously risk in signing Matt Murray and bringing in his, his contract and the money that he's making for two years, because Mrazek had less for, for the next two years. But I feel like there's, there's an extra gear with, with Murray that could be had that I think makes it a little more worth the risk to bring him in for two years. Yeah. I mean, the Leafs went into the uh, 2022 draft with three draft picks came out with six picks. Um, Dubas really found a way to get things done and, and pick up some extra help for the, the, the uh, pipeline. And we'll kind of run through it real, real quick here. Second round pick was Fraser Minton, which obviously, you know, um, Peter, you talked about a little bit. Third round pick was Nick Moldenhauer. Uh, fourth was Dennis Hildeby. Fifth was Nikita Grabenkin. And seventh was Brandon Lisowski. Um, First of all, I'd like to congratulate myself for not screwing up a single one of those names, but <laughs> you should have seen me try to pronounce the <laughs> what, 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 what was that on the lounge, Peter? Or was that on the pod? I'm pretty uh, sure it was, it was on the, the lounge. Pod. It was the lounge. Yeah. Or it was the lounge. Yeah. 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 yeah you should have seen, I, I think I probably tried yeah, he, to pronounce it like four times and Peter he was triple hard. like the banking, the banking. Oh, uh, but uh, I mean, not LeBankin. I don't know why. I see. I fucked it up again. I, I I don't think I'll ever pronounce this guy's name right ever. I thought you were talking about a totally different player. That <laughs> should speak volumes about how badly I uh, fucked up his name. I'm Jesus just not going to say Christ. anymore. What is? Gonna, what, a, what a welcome back, eh? Oh yeah, man, uh, I miss this man. Yeah, I know. Uh, Peter, since you were there, let's start with you. Six picks. The Leafs came out with with more than what they expected to go in mm-hmm. with. Um, 
what are your thoughts on, on who they took and, and maybe the, the highlight pick for you when it comes to the Leafs draft picks? Overall, the sense that I got was this, just them trying to go with upside. A lot, uh, and especially with, you know, even the Grabankin pick, those like the first three players that they took, they all have the great, they all have great smarts. And I talked about this with Minton, um, like Molden Howard, the way that he sees the ice and his creativity. And we saw that with team Canada, the U 18s, how quick he is to read the play, locate his teammates, make high end plays too, with his shot and playmaking abilities. And Grabankin was, not someone on my radar, but seeing some clips, this guy is fast for his size. Like he's quick. He's a, he, whenever he sees the puck and he's, there's going to be a battle for it. He's on it. Like, you know, I, I don't know, insert phrase here because I can't think of one, but he is very quick. He's on it. He has a mentality. And I even said that on the lounge that Wes Clark described him as machine, like with his compete level, his, physicality his presence his mentality his attitude on the ice he's he's just a fighter he's quick he's got really great hands and he can set up play uh set up his teammates really well and kind of similar to that of Danilo Yurov who went in the first round I got the sense of that obviously a little bit older got passed up last year overager but at the same time very skilled um I think he was second in overall points and first in assists in their VHL club so or MHL, MHL, VHL is their AHL version. But yeah, no, I, I thought that the Grabankin pick could be very underrated, very undervalued. And even Brendan Lazowski, I had him as a fourth rounder and I get the Ty Voigt vibe from him where he probably could have gone higher, um, has the tool set, has the skill, undersized player, drops as a result of that and then could probably bounce back and have a massive season in his draft books one year. Same thing that that exactly happened with Ty Voigt and I'm getting that same feeling with Lazowski. So to get him the seventh round with his shot and the way that he finds the open ice, I think that's extremely great value. Alex, same, same question. Who, who kind of stood out to you from the Leafs draft class and, and you know, what stood out for you? Um, the one player that really stood out out of that draft class for me was Dennis Hildeby, the Swedish mm-hmm. goalie they drafted in the fourth round. I, uh, he is an overager, and uh, I believe he's 20 years old. And uh, so that obviously part probably played into the reason why he slipped into the fourth round. But I think the upside is there. And the dude's an absolute unit. He's like six mm-hmm. foot six and 235 pounds. Oh, yeah. um, and luckily, the Leafs have never had a bad experience, you know, signing a big goalie out of Sweden in the past. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Anyways, Dennis Hildeby. Yeah. I think he's uh, I think he's a guy that, you know, can jump into the Leafs pool of, of, of goalie prospects and possibly jump some guys right away in terms of how long they're going to take to get to North America or get to the NHL or AHL, whatever you want to call it. For example, you look at Arthur Aktiamov and Vyacheslav Paxa, Vyacheslav, Jesus, Vyacheslav, I'm not even going to try it. I'm not even going to try it. Pexa. It's, I know it's Pexa. It's the Vyacheslav. Oh, Vyacheslav. Instead, Vyacheslav. Instead of v- Vyacheslav, yes. Vyacheslav Pexa. Okay. Jesus. Do, do, not a good get, do not get some beers into me and try and get me to pronounce that name <laughs> 10 times in a row. Episode 100 right there. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> That's episode 100. We're just going to drink a bunch of beers and pronounce, try pronouncing the hardest Russian names in the league. Um, but yeah. 
anyways, back to my original point about Hildeby. Um, I like that he's, you know, I, I think based on his stats and what he's been able to do over in Sweden, I think he had like a 931 save percentage. In yeah, both leagues. Both, both leagues, yeah. Seven games in the junior league and seven games in the pro league. And obviously that's a small sample size, but it does say that, you know, he might be further along than some of these other goalie prospects. And it's been so long since the Leafs had a homegrown developed goalie prospect. That's been, that's been an ace for them. Like your Carey Price or a guy like that, your Andre Vasilevsky. And I think as it stands right now in the system, Hildeby is the closest thing they have to that. I know that's not a fair comparison to make, but I do really like his upside and I'm interested to see how quickly he can develop because it seems like he might be already further ahead than some of the guys they already have. And especially with some of the injuries to Scott and wall and how that hampered their development as well. Right. That's just, they, when they were drafted, they were great prospects. There was some hope there, but the injury bug hit them hard and, yeah, it's just disappointing to see that because they had a lot of upside to their game. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you brought him up, uh, Alex, because I, I said it, I want to say four or five weeks ago on the podcast about how the Leafs need to find a way to develop their own goaltender. We can we can trade and, and, and acquire whatever and sign whatever goalies we want. At the end of the day, you look at some of the teams that have, or most of the teams that are winning the cup, and they're finding ways to s- develop their goaltenders. And I, I'm not saying they need to go out there and get a first round goaltender in, you know, like a, like a carry price or, or what have you. I'm saying, you know, take this guy, take this Dennis Hildeby and, and work with him. Like you said, he's an overager. He's a guy that's maybe closer to making an NHL jump than any, anybody within the organization and work with him, find a way to get him to that next level, find a way to make him, and he doesn't have to be great. He has to be a solid goaltender that you can count on to steal you a couple games here and there. And he's got the size. He's like, he's massive. If you watched, you watch some of the tape on him, the way he moves, mm-hmm. like he doesn't really have to move that much because he covers so much of the net as it is. Um, great movements. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for me, he was the biggest takeaway. I, I do like the, uh, I do like the, um, the, the pick as well. Um, Moldenhauer as well. Yeah. Um, because I, for me, it's Ryan Hardy's part of the organization. Now he's comfortable. He knows exactly what he's, he's looking at, you know, coming from the Chicago steel, the USHL, um, you know, so I, I think there was more there, to, more there to that pick that, uh, you know, doesn't meet the eye because of the knowledge that's behind it within the organization as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the Fraser Minton one kind of kind of surprised me a little bit just because he wasn't on my radar as a as a potential leaf pick, but I I, I love it and um, Peter I had you send over some some of the clips of, that you got from the draft as well and we'll play a couple here one from Minton and one from uh, Moldenhauer as well but um, and just the the poise that they speak with as well they they mm-hmm. know they know what they needed to get done um, to get to that next level and they know they're not ready and that's yeah that's what I loved about it is you know Fraser Minton comes out and says um, you know I, I, it's going to be tough making this this Leafs Leafs mm-hmm. roster especially with what they have and and I'll I'll, I'll just play the clips but uh, yeah just uh, listen in and and hear what these guys have to say because it says a lot about uh, who they are as players. I think I've got a, a couple of years, two or three years, and probably a year or two in the minors to go still. Um, I think I've got lots of room to develop physically still. Um, I think there's lots of areas in my game where I can continue to improve before I'm ready to jump to the pros. So um, I don't think I'm a guy who will step in right away, especially on a 
roster like the Leafs that's got so much talent and are contenders right now, um, but hopefully continue to, to get better throughout the seasons and summers and make that jump sooner than later. It was an awesome experience. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been a Leafs fan growing up, so uh, I've lived in Toronto my whole life, so to be able to be chosen by my hometown team is just super, super cool. You'll hear, too, in the uh, Moldenhauer clip there that uh, one of the things he said was that he's, you know, grew up as a Leaf fan, and, and, and mm-hmm. Minton was was very similar in, in what he said, you know, wants to put the blue and white on, and, and that's that's something you want to hear from these guys. And I know it's, it's so cliche. Everybody says, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm so happy with the team that drafted me and, you know, maybe, maybe they're not, but I don't know. I just, I, I heard gen, you know, genuine emphasis on, on the enjoyment of, of getting picked by a, by a team like the Maple Leafs in both of their interviews. So um, yeah, solid draft for the Leafs. Like I said, went in with three, came out with six and, and, you know, kind of a, a testament to what Dubis is able to do. Um, but still, there's going to be the haters out there, and still we're seeing yep. the haters through free agency as well. Um, before we get to that, though, anything else you guys wanted to hit on with the uh, the NHL draft that just passed? I got nothing else. I've uh, pretty much said everything I want to say. So I just give the Le- I gave the Lisa solid B minus when I did the draft recap. I, I good draft, you know. Obviously, you made do with the picks. You had three going in. You came out with five. You made the most of them. Solid, solid all-around effort from the Maple Leafs there. Yeah, nothing nothing super overwhelming, but uh, definitely you know got the job done and added to their prospect pool. So uh, good in that sense. Um, with that, though, uh, let's talk about the Murray trade. Let's talk about the Murray trade. Um, let's. Because... Uh, yeah, it's it seems to it seems to have turned Leafs Nation on onto their backs once again, uh, which you know is basically a weekly thing. I think with uh, yeah, I was with just going to say, in other words, it's a regular Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just a regular time in Maple Leaf land. So let, let's start with with Peter. What I, I want to get your take on on the Murray deal. Um. I mean, it, it's kind of being floated out there. It, it's a big gamble. You know, it's a risky move. It's basically your do or die move for Kyle Dubas at this point. Um, you let Jack Campbell walk because of the issue with term. Um, when it, we, we were talking before money wasn't the issue. It was the length of the contract. But you also got to factor in, you know, he's dealt with some pretty significant injuries in the past. And even early on the season, he had a serious battle with COVID as well. Uh, got hit hard. And, you know, it affected him and, you know, it, 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 it just hit him hard. That, that, that simple as that. Um, uh, the hope is with all of this, and I said this even before with everything that when the talks that are happening of trying to get Matt Murray, the hope is you want him to get back to those Pittsburgh Penguin days, you know, back in when they won the back-to-back championships and he dethroned Mark Andre Fleury for the starter role, because that was really hard to do. And for him to do that, that was absolutely impressive. With the injuries, with the poor play, but then again, he's been in Ottawa the last two, three seasons. Ottawa was never competitive. The defense wasn't great. They've been in a rebuilding mode. How else is Matt Murray, Matt Murray supposed to thrive in that environment? I mean, yeah, the contract didn't quite match up. I wasn't a fan of it. It looked a little bit too high. 
But even so this season, with everything that Murray has dealt with, um, illnesses, injuries, all that, he still managed to put up some okay numbers. They weren't great, but if you compare that to like Jack Campbell, Murray had, and, and again, this is a very, very small sample. I'm like extremely small because he only played like, you know, 20 something games throughout the whole entire season. Murray had a save percentage over 923 times. Jack Campbell only had it once at 959, and that was back in November. That's their monthly splits. Another thing to look at, Murray had a better high danger save percentage, not 828, which was good for 32nd in the league overall. And Jack Campbell had 786, way just outside the top 60. Murray had good results on a bad team, and Jack Campbell had bad results on a good team. So, yeah, it's a gamble on Dubis to try and hope that he gets back to that point with a very small sample this season because that January, February stretch was his best play of hockey. The fact that he's on a better defensive team in the Maple Leafs right now, again, still a lot of questions with the right-hand defense on the second pairing, but it's mostly still intact. So to have a healthy Matt Murray, if he's able to accomplish that, this is going to be a good move. But then again, we got to see when the season starts. Alex, your thoughts on the uh, the Murray deal? Um, so I've been a staunch, staunch supporter of everything that Kyle Dubas has done since he got to Toronto. And, you know, people will call me a Dubasite or whatever the fuck over that. And it's like, you know what? I'm sorry. I just, I've, I've got more patience for Dubas after growing up watching Brian Burke and Dave Nonas and John Ferguson Jr. And all of them, you know, make the trades that they, they did with this team. And every move I, that Dubas has made that hasn't worked out, I've always been like, you know what? I can see why you made this move. And I'd always go to war for him. This Murray move is the first one where... You know, when I talk to people I know who are not Dubas fans and who, you know, like the Leafs but aren't Dubas fans, this is the first time that I'm I'm sort of like, yeah, I can kind of understand why you're mad. Because when you look at this, and you look like I said earlier, when you look at the fact that Peter Morazic, um, they got rid of his contract. He had two years left at three point eight million, and then they trade for Matt Murray, who's got, I think it's like four point five million for two more years, and, you know. I think it's it's just a massive gamble for Kyle Dubas. And I understand um, that there weren't really too many other good alternatives, and I'll get into that in a second. But at the same time, it is a very, very risky play to take Matt Murray and make him your guy for next year. Having said that, and we'll get into this a little later too, signing Ilya Samsonov today I think makes – the Murray situation a little less mm-hmm. risky for me, because I think with those two guys, you know, if you take, you're taking Matt Murray, who's kind of been on a downward spiral for the past couple of years. Um, you've got Ilya Samsonov who just had a bad season in Washington, but he's a former first round pick 25 years old, still young. And his team just gave up on him. You've, you've got two guys right here who are really looking to push themselves and push each other and prove the doubters wrong. And I think if you mm-hmm. take those two guys throw them in a crease together, get them to push each other and battle it out to be the number one guy, especially for Samsonov, who, you know, Dubas said in the presser today that he, um, that he was, it was not impressed, but he was surprised to see that Samsonov, after not being tendered a contract, wanted a one-year bet on himself kind of Mm -hmm. deal. 
So if you take two guys who are motivated and wanting to prove their doubters wrong and put them in the same crease together, I don't know, man, crazier things have happened. And I, I, I do think that signing Samsonov makes me feel a little better about bringing in Matt Murray. And the other thing that I'll say about, about Matt Murray is that it's obviously a risky move, but what I've been trying to get through, what I've been trying to say to get through to the people who are, who have no tolerance for this move and who think that, you know, no matter how, how you word it, they went after Matt fucking Murray as their starting goalie. And, you know, the people who have that thought process, the way that I've been trying to tackle that is by saying, listen, Jack Campbell is one of the other alternatives. If you're not comfortable with Matt Murray for 4.5 million a year for the next two years, then I don't see why you would be comfortable paying Jack Campbell five point mm. five years for 5 million or 5 million for five years. Campbell last year had two amazing months, two horrendous months and two average months. And he wasn't that great in the playoffs. So I don't want to commit that kind of money to him. And then when you look at the alternatives outside of Campbell, Darcy Kemper, you know, again, just his average. No, I, I think I think Kemper was better than Campbell this year, but at the same time, he has the same durability issues that Campbell does mm-hmm. and that Murray does, and he also wanted the term. And so, I just don't think that was a contract that was going to happen. John Gibson apparently has no interest in playing in Toronto, so obviously you weren't going to trade for him. But even if you did, that would have been a risk as well. And then your bargain bin guys like Billy Huso, who just went to went to Detroit are gone as well. So, you know, no matter what direction the Leafs were to take this offseason with their goaltending, it would have been risky. And mm-hmm. I think the way that you can justify signing Matt Murray to the contract that he did is by saying, listen, I know it was four or five years ago, but Matt Murray is a two-time Stanley Cup champion. He has been there before. He has proven in the past that he can put a team on his back and get hot at the right time. And obviously it's a massive ask to, to get him to do that in Toronto. Because, you know, he's going to be playing in a media hotbed. He's going to be playing in one of the meccas of hockey in the the world, as Austin Matthews called it in the past. Um, But at the same time, he's probably got the highest ceiling. And then you take a former first-round pick like Samsonov, who also has a high ceiling. If one of those guys hits, then I don't think people are talking about Dubas' move. It obviously won't look good on him if Matt Murray doesn't have a good season. But at the same time the Leafs were able to give Peter Mrazek a positive winning record. He had, he was, he had a record of 12 and six with a save percentage of 884. Like when you look at that, I don't see why putting Matt Murray in the crease would make this team any worse. And I'm sorry, but if you ask me who I want starting a game seven, I'm probably saying Matt Murray over Jack Campbell. And that's not a slight towards Campbell at all because he did great. Like, you know, both of the game sevens he played in for the Leafs, he only allowed two goals or I guess three goals. Uh, actually, no, it wasn't three goals because the one was the empty netter. Anyways, um, you, Jack Campbell only allowed two goals in those games, but they were both savable shots. And, you know, Murray has proven in the past. I think he's got like a 927 save percentage in game sevens. And like, fuck, that's all I needed to hear. Sign me up for Matt Murray. So I guess uh, to... And those to shots kind of, too were coming from closer to high danger area. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of those. Nick Paul, like Nick Paul's that exact type mm-hmm. of player to get into those high danger areas. Um, so, yeah, I guess if you want to take all my thoughts on the Murray signing and sort of put him into a Cliff Notes version, I think it's a very, very risky move that could cost Kyle Dubas's job. But it's one that I think, oddly enough, was probably the safest route to take considering the options. 
And I think it's one that could potentially have the highest reward of the other options. But I, like I said, many times on Twitter and to people that I talk to about this, um, I'm going to reserve my judgment for Matt Murray until I see him play a couple games for the Leafs, because, you know, you look back at, you look at the goalie coach they've got, they got John Elkin, who's worked with him in the past. They just hired Curtis Sanford to take over for Steve Breer, who's mm-hmm. worked with Thatcher Demko in the past. There's the, obviously the Sioux connection. I think that Kyle Dubas and Matt Murray have a bit of a connection there outside of the Sioux. And I really don't think that Dubas would have brought him in if, he didn't do his homework and think that there was a reasonable path to get him back to where he can be. So that's what I think of the whole thing. Little tidbit of information for you guys. Who did they bring into the Sioux to back up Matt Murray? Jack Campbell. That's right. There you go. There you go. Um, But (laughs) coincidentally enough, I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down one road and I'm going to bunch everyone who is doubting this move and doubting Dubas into one group right now. And you can call me Homer, you can call me whatever you want. But to everybody, but but to everybody who's sitting there saying that this is this is a ridiculous move and Dubas is going to get fired and lose his job and whatever else, shut the fuck up! (laughs) Shut the fuck up! Let the guy play a fucking game Mm -hmm. in blue and white before we sit here and criticize him. You want to know why players don't want to come to the the mecca of hockey and play hockey? Comments like that, like this, people sit there before they play a goddamn game and have an opinion on how they're going to play. The Leafs got a third round pick and a seventh round pick along with Matt Murray at 75% of his cost for future considerations. Matt Murray could shit a brick and the Leafs might never have to give them a goddamn thing. The other thing to take away from that is, as you mentioned, um, Alex, they also picked up Ilya Samsonov who at 25 has the potential of being a starting goalie. This is, this is a first round talent at one point mm-hmm. in his career. Okay. Um, the two of them cost 6.5 million compared to 5 million over five years for Jack Campbell. And I'm not sitting here saying that I'm not sad that Jack Campbell's gone, but his numbers didn't justify paying him the 5 million over five years, well into his thirties. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, Alex, you also mentioned Ville Husso. He signed for way million at least. 4.25, I believe it was. 4.25? For three years, yeah. For three years. And he's played, what, 51 games? 52 games? Something like that, yeah. Like, I'm mind blown at the money that's being thrown around in free agency. And people are going to sit here and shit on Kyle Dubas for going out and getting a a two-time Stanley Cup champion goalie. And for all those people that said, yeah, well, it was with the Pittsburgh Penguins and they had Sidney Crosby, blah, blah, blah. They had fucking Ron Hainsey on their top pairing. So, <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to say this because Sorry, I had this. I just, I, no, I had this conversation with, with a coworker and their comment was, well, yeah, like look at, the, look at the D that they had in Pittsburgh. And we talk so often about how every Stanley Cup winner has their stud, their thoroughbred defenseman. Listen to the list of players that played one playoff game, at least one playoff game on the blue line for Pittsburgh in uh, 2015-16 when they won that first Stanley Cup. Rob Scuderi, Adam Clendenning, David Warsawski, Leaf Great, uh, Chris Letang, Trevor Daly, Ben Lovejoy, Ian Cole, Justin Schultz, Brian Dumoulin, Oli Mata, and Derek Pouliot. Tell me one thoroughbred. 
And if, if any, if either of you say Chris Letang, I, I'm going to walk off this podcast right now because Chris Letang is not, Chris Letang. he's not a thoroughbred. <laughs> he's not a thoroughbred number one defenseman. I don't care what anybody says. He's had a fantastic career. He is, he is gone beyond. <laughs> he's gone beyond what, what the expectations probably were for him coming into this, coming into the NHL, but he is not a number one thoroughbred. And that to me is, is justification enough to say that Matt Murray, when it counts, can get it done. Yes. He's had his injuries over the last few seasons. Yes. There's a lot of question marks. Yes. It's a risky move. You gave up nothing to get him here. And you have a goalie that might be slightly better than Jack Campbell for less money. There's, there's absolutely no argument to be made until he plays five games at the NHL level with, with the Maple Leafs. And even then maybe like God forbid, but maybe he gets hit in the head again, has another concussion. And all of a sudden you're talking about a guy on long-term IR, you freed up cash to go get something else. There is opportunity here. Let's not sit here and fucking shit on this guy for not even playing a goddamn game with the Maple Leafs and say Dubas's career as a GM is done. Can, can I just make one point that I always, I, I found hilarious on social media these past few days. And it's sort of, in a sense, one indication, one clear indication that Dubas is nowhere near as bad as some of the GMs that we've had in the past. Or some of the GMs that if, gave out the contracts today. Yeah, literally. All honest to God. Yeah, you can do an entire fucking podcast episode on Chuck Fletcher and what he did in Philadelphia. Anyways, um, so take, for example, if it, let's say I was having an argument with somebody who was very pro-Brian Burke. So... <laughs> Obviously, Burke made some very questionable moves. Let's um, actually, you know what? No, I won't use Burke as an example. Let's talk about Dave Nonis. And let's say I'm talking to somebody who's very pro Dave Nonis. And let's say I'm sitting here, you know, trying to justify that. Or I'm trying to I'm sitting here talking about how him signing David Clarkson to a seven year contract worth five point two five million a year was a horrible move. If a pro Dave Nonis hockey fan asked me, why do you think that deal is bad? I'd be able to sit here and say, well, first of all, he only scored 30 goals once in his career. It was last season. Um, Otherwise, he's not much of an offensive player. I think you're overpaying for grit. I could go down the list of reasons why I think that signing David Clarkson to that contract is bad. And we could have a discussion that way. The reason that I can see that you know, Dubas isn't quite as bad is because when you hear these people criticize Dubas and you ask them, okay, um, what would you have done instead? The answer every single time has been, I don't know, not my job. So that means they don't know. Listen, and, and that's, and that's just it right there. It's like, well, no fucking shit. It's not your job. Like it's none of our jobs. I, I it's not yeah. my job. I, I'm, I'm like, I, I criticize Dubas's moves. Absolutely. It's none of our jobs, but if, if, if it's so, clear to you and so obvious to you that Kyle Dubas is the reason for this team's downfall. And he's, you know, he's whiffed on all these horrible moves and he needs to do better at this and this and this, if you can't come up with a single solution or at least say what you would have done if you were in that position, like, like you don't have any legitimate reason to say that the moves that he's making are not good. Like, I don't know. I saw a tweet the other day that was like, Dubas needs to be shown the door if he brings in Matt Murray. Like, absolutely enough of this guy. And then some guy responds, well, if he didn't want to bring in Matt Murray, then what do you think he should have done with the goaltending? And he said, not my job. It's like, 
all right, well, it, it's clearly not that fucking easy then, is it? If you can't come up with something, yeah. it's not that easy. Yeah, no, I no, just want to. I just want to add to both of your points. Alex, you brought up Chris Sanford and John Elkin. I mean, obviously the Leafs needed a breath of fresh air with the new goalie coach. No doubt about that. And bringing in Sanford, who basically not necessarily turned Thatcher Demko's career around, but improved him and got him to where he is today. That's a big step. John Elkin has known Murray since he was 10 years old. If there's anybody to get Murray back on track, to have the success that he had in the past, health-wise, mentality, training, you name it, it's going to be those two guys. And the fact that, and I'm really excited to see how Sanford is going to turn around both Murray and uh, Samsonov because, yeah, Samsonov at times didn't look great, but at times he rose to the occasion. And if you ask me, this is the best tandem we've seen from the Maple Leafs in God knows how long. Every single year, it was always the starter and a very average backup. You can still make that case right now, but both of them have the upside and potential to go above and beyond. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, I'm not sure I'd agree right now that they're the best tandem the Leafs have had, but I definitely think they've got the highest upside and the highest potential. Yeah, there you go. Because at the the same time, they could end up being the worst tandem this team's ever had if neither of them improve on last year. But in terms of balance is where I was getting at. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. that makes sense. That makes sense. No, and uh, also with you, Forbes, like Jack Campbell had a decent defense in front of him and he still had the numbers that he had aside from the November. It, it was very less than average. Continue to bid into the playoffs. He's now going to a team that basically aside from Darnell nurse, and you mentioned the defenseman that Murray played on during that cup team, aside from Chris Tang, not a whole lot of big household names. Like a lot of stay-at-home defenders, no offense whatsoever, but probably names that wouldn't survive right now if they were still in their prime or they're still in that age group or still at that age right now. Because he's going to Tyson Berry, Cody Cece, Slater Cuckoo, who's still unproven, and he's 28. Brett Kulak, he's you know decent at times. And then you still have two youngsters in Evan Bouchard and Philip Robert. Not a whole, and even so this season, the Edmonton's defense came into question quite a bit and they relied heavily on their scoring. Are they going to do the same thing with Campbell right now that they did with Mike Smith? Because I have no hope or no faith in this defense compared to the Leafs. Uh, I mean, I, I'd take the Maple Leafs defense with Matt Murray than the Edmonton Oilers defense with Jack Campbell. Yeah, I mean, and, and your your big name on, on the back end in Edmonton, Duncan Keith, is retired. So yeah. right now, like Tyson Berry and Cody Ceci, I mean, welcome back to Toronto. Yeah. Um, and like I said, aside from Darnell Nurse, who is the only yeah, defender that they have. Absolutely. The rest that follow after Nurse, Nurse is basically in the same boat as Latang right now. Everyone else falling after their top name, I I wouldn't trust at all. And who, who who like who do you got backing up Jack Campbell in Edmonton? Stuart Skinner, and he still has one more year left. But then again, so, go still unproven. But you know, 
decent season this year in 13 games. Go to uh, Edmonton, the Edmonton Oilers homepage, and there's a there's a nice little clip right at the right at the top of the page. Jack Campbell and his goal is to, or his cause is to help the Edmonton Oilers win a Stanley Cup. Well, I mean, his 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 cause was to help the Toronto Maple Leafs win a Stanley Cup or win a playoff much, round. W- yeah, with a much better defense in front of him. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just look. You want to pay Hyman the money that you paid him, go for it. You want to pay Jack Campbell the money that you paid him, go for it. Like, and it's nothing against the players. Mm-hmm. Go, go get that bag. Like, it's a business. You it, know, they're going to get their worth. Absolutely. And and for a guy who was a f- first overall pick and and never really lived up to expectations to to finally go and get paid, I mean, why why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you, right? Um, Some breaking news, or not necessarily breaking news, but Riley Smith signed three years, $5 million with Vegas after they traded Max Pacioretty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do not get that. But all right, because I want to Riley Smith as a target. But to pick Riley Smith over Patches, that's a bold strategy there. Yeah, gave up Patches for, for absolutely nothing as well. So, that, I mean... To keep Wait, Riley Smith. Way to go Vegas, but um, yeah, quickly we'll, we'll run through uh, free agency here. Um, so to give you a quick number, 151 signings thus far, 312 total years of contract, 269, um, sorry, 269,884,167 total cap hit. And the money that has been poured out in free agency today, today alone, $914 million, and actually we're closer to $915 million. So $915 million, we see it every year and we see it every year. And like, I'll throw you back to, I think it was six years ago that Lucic signed his big, big ticket. um, And he was given way too much money uh, on the back nine of his career. And, the money is just flowing. And, and a couple examples here, former Leaf, Ilya Labushkin, 28 years old, went to Buffalo on a two-year deal, uh, 2.75 uh, AAV. Um, oh, nope. Yeah, not going to pay it. I don't mind the McKayev. block. Yeah, the McKay of one, 4.75 he's getting. Nah. I wouldn't pay that. After 120 goal season, and I understand he had his wrist injury. But four years. Still, yeah. Four years at four point seven five yeah. uh, in Vancouver. That one, that one frightens me a little bit. I don't mind the Blackwell deal. Um, I don't mind the Andre Kasha deal if he can stay healthy. One point five million. Um, Carolina taking a uh, a waiver on him. Uh, for all the guys who signed in Chicago, I have no idea why you signed in Chicago unless it was just to get an NHL contract. Shout out Max Domi for that one. Um, but yeah, just. Like some of the some of the some of the money here is just ridiculous. I How about G- that Erica Branson contract. Yeah. Eric Branson. I, I didn't think GM still handed out contracts like that. Like that's a contract million. straight out of 2016. Yeah. Four million for a pretty average def- not even average defenseman, but a guy who can only hit. And I'm just gonna say this right now. Tampa Bay giving Mikhail Sergachev 8.5 million. Eric Cernak and, and Anthony Sorelli, they signed them all to eight-year deals. 
I can understand Sorelli. I, I I do like the Sorelli contract. But I will for, say that for the for the money, if you look at the three contracts, they signed all three of those guys to those big tickets. Yeah, their hope, and I mean Kucherov's got what six years left on his deal. Uh, five more. Five. He's going to be a UFA in five more years. Yeah. So, like you're 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 locking yourself up and hoping that you can fill those gaps on the back end on the on the bottom six with with like those $900,000 players because the money that you're dishing out right now is just, Mm -hmm. or you're hoping that the cap goes up immensely in the next couple of seasons. But I want to bring up one guy too. But even so before you move on that $8.5 million contract that he's making more than Victor Hedman for two seasons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What? And Mm -hmm. two, I think out of all the contracts and extensions that they signed, that one's going to come back and bite them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, Jump to Ottawa for a second. Claude Giroux, I love the signing by Ottawa. I think it's a great, uh, you know, get a veteran guy in there. Yeah. Um, they've done some great stuff in Ottawa so far this offseason. 34 years old, three-year contract, takes him to 37, 6.5 million. Mm-hmm. And it was very reminiscent. I mean, he's a little bit younger, but very reminiscent of a Patrick Marlowe type deal. Yeah. And that one scares me in the back end of that, even, even the second year of that deal, um, just because of where Ottawa is going to be at. Um, but it, it, it kind of just goes to show you what, what was being handed out today. Um, I'm just trying to find another couple ones that kind of blew my, um, here's I will one. argue that the Giroux contract. Yeah, I, I do get where you're coming from with the Marlowe thing, you know, veteran player. He, I, I think that Giroux is more consistent offensively to yeah. at least get 50, 60 points than Patrick sure, Marlowe sure. was at that time. Johnny Goudreau, Simon yeah. Columbus. Uh, seven-year deal, nine point seven five million AAV. Um, this one I just want to quickly get, get your opinion on because one, Columbus seemed to come out of nowhere, mm-hmm. but two, nine point seven five million. I'm thankful you didn't sign for over ten million because then we'd have to talk about whether you want Goudreau on your roster for ten million dollars, and I personally don't. Um, but your thoughts on you know Columbus coming out of the the woodworks to grab Goudreau at nine point seven five. Yeah, I mean, I thought, uh, first of all, I don't know if I was just tripping sheer balls when I read this or what, but I remember reading the report that that um, Calgary left. No, I remember. No, not that one. I remember reading the report that Calgary left, I think it was like between 15 and $17 million on the table for Goudreau. And when I first read it, I thought they meant that they they offered him between 15 and $17 million a year to stay. And I was like, what the hell? Like, they're going to make him the most highest paid player in the league over – over McDavid. And then I realized that's just fucking unrealistic. So, um, yeah, uh, I think it was certainly puzzling because you hear about how he wants to go closer to home and obviously Ohio is closer to New York where he grew up than, uh, than Calgary is, but it's still a good eight hours away. So, um, I'm, I'm shocked he didn't end up with either the Islanders or the devils, but, yeah. um, I mean, I think bringing Goudreau in is at the very least going to force Columbus to, or force people to pay attention to Columbus. I don't know if they'll make the playoffs next year, but when you bring in a guy like Goudreau, I mean, you're obviously going to make some noise. So yeah, that was uh, interesting for sure. Last one I'll throw at you. Uh, 23 year old, Robert Thomas, 77 points, uh, career high this, this season, 20 goals, career high this season, 72 games, 8.125 million over eight yeah. years from the St. Louis blues. After once. Okay. That is another mind 
explosion right there because you look at his point totals, 33 in his rookie year, 42, 12 in 2020, 21. Obviously that season really up and down for a lot of players. And then 77 this season. Great. He was, he was above a point per game and great that he was one of the key offensive contributors for the blues. But when you're, career high before that was 42 points and you're getting 77 and, I, and this is not a knock on Thomas because I think he's a really fantastic player to lock that up after 170 point season I, I, again we're talking about Matt Murray being a risk that to me is more of a big risk than anything because he cannot when you think of an eight million dollar player you're thinking of a you know Kucherov, Stamkos, you name, insert all those players right there. Robert Thomas really doesn't stand out to me as one of them. And that's, he's got some big shoes to fill to try and repeat that because I may, I may be on the wrong end of this, but I don't think he could replicate that close to 80 points. He can't, he could, but it, that's just a big, more of a big gamble than, you know, Matt Murray at this point. I'll tell you what, this Robert Thomas, he's going to be a good player. I, I watched him in London for years. I, I was mm-hmm. devastated when he was traded to Hamilton uh, in the final year of his, of his uh, junior el- eligibility. Um, but they're paying for what they believe he can do. And 8.125 yeah. million it's, over it's eight just years. Like, it's just a like a hefty contract, though. It's just like what Montreal did with Nick Suzuki. Yeah. Like Suzuki had never put up, I think it was more than what, 60 points That's in a season or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Suzuki in his prime, I'm sure he'll be an $8 million forward. Yeah. But the problem is with offering a contract like that is if he doesn't end up as that, as that $8 million player, then all of a sudden you're paying him $8 million to be less than that. And yeah. you're locked in for eight years. So it's, I would say it is a risky move, but man, if, if, if Robert Thomas does keep putting up, seasons like that and he is a regular point per game player that is a good deal for the Blues. oh absolutely it's just you don't know no if, it, if that consistency is gonna hold up just based on one season i will say that uh with that with that move i do believe that tarasank goes on his way out of st louis at some point but oh, yeah uh, um gentlemen before we close out here we won't talk a lot about the deals obviously we mentioned patch ready going for not next to nothing to carolina carolina's looking like an absolute wagon right now they got to only of, re-sign riley smith for the yeah. biggest golden knights that's yeah. they got rid of tony d in uh in carolina so i'm back on the carolina train here because <laughs> uh I, I wasn't supporting that team while he was there can, I, can I also can i also just like sorry to interrupt there for oh, that's fine can i can i just on behalf of sticks in the six give a big fuck you to philadelphia for ditching oscar lindblom yeah. In order to make room for in yeah. order to make room for Tony D'Angelo. It's just that, that, that's, that's, that's just fucked. That's just like no. That, that's just one of those moves. That's a low ball make. move. It man. is a low that's, blow. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean this guy's a survivor. And that's what you do. Like, come on. Yeah. Like I, I I have nothing else to say because it'd be different if they just let him walk, but they bought him out. Like they, they yeah. went out of their way to terminate his contract so that Tony D'Angelo could fit in there. And it's like, is that really the culture shift you want to have in your locker room? But I guess based on everything else the Flyers are doing, it seems like they're just looking to ice the worst possible team in every possible way. So yeah. mm-hmm. um, them in Chicago are going to be yeah. battling for Bedard and Mitchkov. And, and I said this before, you know, you know what the upsetting part about this is, is that I guarantee you, if you ask the average Leafs fan, 
maybe not the average Leafs fan, actually, maybe I'm not giving our fan base enough credit, but if you asked <laughs> like the average demographic Leaf fan that I was talking about earlier on who they would rather have between Kyle Dubas and Chuck Fletcher, I guarantee you most of them say Chuck Fletcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably because Old Chuck boys club. Yeah. Chuck, Chuck Fletcher's a boomer. And, uh, I feel, um, I feel like, I feel like there's a, uh, there's a, uh, Twitter poll that needs to go up here. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll do that with the sticks and the six, uh, mm-hmm. Twitter and see what happens, but I mean, Carl Dubas every single day of the week. Yeah. Um, one more thing, Forbes, just, you briefly mentioned on Max, uh, Max Pacioretty there. Um, all I have to say about that is that is what happens when you go out of your way to mortgage your future and trade every single prospect you get and move on mm-hmm. from every single good player you have in order to get the slightly shinier toy in free agency every year. Yeah. Great tweet uh, from Frank Saravalli here. Players Vegas Golden Knights have been forced to unload for no or minimal return due to salary cap crunch. Max Pacioretty, Evgeny Dadanov, Marc-Andre okay. Fleury, Nate Schmidt, Paul Stastny, Cody Eakin. By far the worst. Jack Eichel. Yeah. Are they, he didn't include Jack Eichel, did he? Well, no. no, that, they, the, they, no they, these are guys they had to trade. In oh, order they had to trade. Free, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Guys that they had to trade in order to immediately free up salary cap room. Yeah. Everyone's talking about like how much the cap situation is bad for the Leafs. Oh my God, I would not want to be the Vegas Golden Knights. No, by by far by far the 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 best example of mismanagement when it comes to to uh, what you have within organizationally um, is Vegas because no no Golden Knight is safe. No Golden Knight is safe. No. Nope. So if if you get drafted there, just just keep your bags packed because chances are you're going to get traded. Um, but uh, let's quickly close this out with the Leafs. Leafs uh, on day one of free agency. Ilya Samsonov, as we mentioned, twenty five uh, years old. Nicholas Obey Kubel, twenty six, uh, Stanley Cup champion. We should we should mention as well Adam Gaudet, who is a, a guy that has been talked about with with Toronto for some time, and Dennis Malgin, a twenty five year old surprise signing out of uh, the Swiss League. Um, <laughs> Alex, you're laughing. Let's throw it to you. Your your take on on those four signings. I'm just I'm just laughing because of how much of a shitstorm Dennis Mulligan is causing on Lee's Twitter. Like oh now, like God. the fucking the the poor guy just he gets acquired for Mason Marchments at the time. It seemed like a bit of a nothing deal. Gets eight games in with the Leafs before COVID postpones the season. Ends up staying in Switzerland while Mason Marchment turns into fucking Yarmir Yager with the Florida Panthers. Um I just, I, you got to feel for the guy because he's this polarizing name in Leafland and everyone associates him with one of Kyle Dubas's worst moves. Um, and it's just funny how much discourse there is around a dude who's literally signing for league minimum. Um, I said in a tweet the other day, I think it would be hilarious if, if Dennis Morgan just for whatever reason found, you know, his best game possible and then turned into like a 40 point player in their middle six. And we're, and we're sitting here, Florida doesn't have Marchman anymore. And it's like, hell yeah, Leafs win the trade in the end. <laughs> but um, second line of Nylander, Tavares and Malgan. I remember they tried that. They tried that <laughs> yeah. in 2019, 20 for, for a bit. It didn't quite work, but um, yeah, I mean, I like the Malgan. I, I, I mean, the Malgan signing is what it is. It's you're bringing in a guy who can compete for a role in the bottom six. If it doesn't work out, he plays for the Marlies or they bury his contract. It's really not that deep. Um we already talked about Samsonov. I do like the signings of Obey Kubel and Adam Gaudet, particularly Adam Gaudet, because I was reading up on him and I, I, I caught a tweet from David Alter quoting Kyle Dubas saying that apparently Gaudet had some illness last year before the season that caused him to lose a bunch of weight. 
And mm. they're saying, you know, he's on a path to better health right now. And he's, you know, gearing towards, he's gearing towards being at the top of his game again. And, um, not too removed from his 2019, 20 season, not too far removed. I should say from his 2019, 20 season, when he put up 33 points in 59 games, and I'm not expecting him to do that for the Leafs, but I think you're bringing in a guy who can at his, at the top of his game, be a, um, be a third line scorer. And, yeah. um, if it doesn't work out, just like, just like Morgan, the guy's making league minimum and it'll probably be pretty easy to get rid of that contract. So, um, I wrote an article recapping the Leafs and day one of free agency. And I think the theme today outside of Samsonov is just, you know, depth signings, but guys that could definitely make an impact. And, um, it, based on the reactions that I was seeing from some people on Twitter today, you'd think that free agency ended at 6 PM today and Leafs are going into the season with their roster right now, as it stands when in reality, all the three, all three of the big fish from the free agent list are still on the board. Kadri hasn't signed anywhere. Um, Klingberg hasn't signed anywhere. Sorry, I guess Goudreau is gone by at, at this point, but point is there's still lots of big names available. No one knows really where they're going. And, uh, I think, uh, the one part that intrigued me from Dubas's press conference was when he said that he's he wants to go after more forwards and maybe a depth defenseman as well. And the fact that he's physical defenseman too, a physical defenseman, yeah. And the fact that he didn't say depth forwards, he just said forwards, leads me to believe that there might be a trade in the works to try and bring top in six. A, a top six winger or something. Mm-hmm. Because you know, as much as I like Dubas, you can't look at I I, I couldn't be him and say with a straight face that. Kerfoot Tavares Nylander as a second line is, you know, going to work because there was too many times this year when that line was completely invisible. And I think they need a new, they need a new spark on it. For Adam Gaudet, I just wonder if his play at the world championships caught their eye. Six goals and eight points in 10 games. Really impressive. Obviously a short tournament, whatever, but Considering that he was up and down quite a bit, you know, minimal production, although he did start to pick up a little bit with 12 points with the Senators. I mean, that tournament alone, that is a tough tournament. Like, let's be, let's call it as it is. The World Hockey Championship is one of the best tournaments. It's always the best on best. And yeah, you can say that all, not really because playoff players or like top players are in the playoffs. They're not going to, play whatever he dominated that tournament he was a key factor for team usa so i want to know if that goal scoring is coming back and considering that he's a right wing and a center i wonder if not necessarily you're going to throw him into the second line but we talk, we've heard about sir john tavares becoming a winger how about trying to place a speedy adam godet up the middle with tavares and nylander possibility i don't know this is me being a mad scientist with line combinations (laughs) right now but you know who's to say that this could be a potential top six guy for them obviously middle six right now we're going to tamper expectations but who's to say that he could rise up in the in the lineup throw some names out there at you patrick line is an rfa matthew to still an rfa um guys like andre Palat are still out there nino niederreiter Mm -hmm. still out there uh, Kadri, obviously, as you mentioned, still out there. Um, so tons of tons of names. Dylan Strom's another name that's been bounced off with the with the Maple Leafs. Um, 
lots of names out there, lots of potential. Free agency is just getting started. And as you mentioned, Alex, I think it's just, it's Dubas kind of, testing the waters right now, see what he can get without making that big splash yet until he knows what, what needs to get done. So um, definitely, definitely good to be back. Um, anything you guys wanted to throw out there before we, uh, we close it. Actually, I do want to ask you. So Kadri, where is he, where is he going to end up? I want your take. Uh, Alex, you can go first. I was just gonna say you go first, Peter. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take this. Um, I'll take first, this one. Yeah, I'll take this first. one. He's gonna end up in New York, and Rangers? I as in the Rangers. I don't. I th- I'm gonna go with the Islanders only because Ooh. I I did have the Rangers as one of the possibilities, but then the Rangers went out and signed Vinny Trocheck to an unrealistic deal as well, and the the Lula Morello connection with uh with um Kadri and that the fact that Lou Lamorello signed him to his last deal I think he's a Lou type player and I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past Lou to go out and get one of his favorite guys like he has done with I don't know um I believe Andy Green and uh I believe he did the same thing with Zach Parise so don't don't put it past him to go out and get guys that he's familiar with I'm gonna say Calgary hmm Okay. And I think you all know why, you know, Goudreau going to Columbus, they got 19 million in cap space. They definitely have the money to try and sign him. If he's commanding, you know, eight, 9 million, um, how that's going to work. I don't know. Cause you could automatically put him as your first center. I mean, after that you got actually Elias Lindholm is going to be your first center. And then you could probably go Kadri as your second or reverse them. I don't know, but they got the options. And like you said too, Calgary is going to be an interesting spot right now because with Goudreau gone, what's going to happen with Kachuk? I I, I think they take a massive step back because Goudreau played a significant part for them this season. Down to you, Alex. Nazem Kadri is signing Toronto Maple Leafs. Four-year, $4 million contract with the Leafs. Coming home. (laughs) (laughs) Hometown discount. Taking a hometown discount. He's He's coming home. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Kyle Dubas is going to – he's going to show up at his front door with a nice bottle of red, and he's going to take him out for a nice steak dinner, and he's going to apologize for the way that he handled the the Tyson Berry trade. And he's going to say, listen, buddy, we're this close. We didn't have a spot for you then. We got a spot for you now. We want you here. You've got the passion. You sign the, the passion. sign the contract, and he'll be like, "Hell yeah!" So We're moving my, JT to take. wing. That's my take. And right yeah. after that, they'll announce that Ethan Bear is also coming as a right-handed defenseman. So Ooh, I like that be, one I as well. Love Ethan Bear. Mm-hmm. Anyways, boys. Anyways, maybe that's my maybe that's my next article coming out in the next couple weeks. But do it. Um, anything before we close it out, Peter? Um, be sure to check out a. And again, I can't wait to read the comments on this, but a positive Matt Murray piece. I know there's been a lot of negativity around him. Love I it. thought, you know what? Let's add, let's add the possibility of him having a bounce back and why we should believe in him. Love it. Love it. Alex, what do you got going, buddy? Uh, I got my Leafs free agency recap coming tomorrow. I'm uh, going to be on the news team again. So we'll hopefully breaking some signings tomorrow. Um, yeah, that's that's just about all I've got. Well, boys, uh, 
Good to be back. As I mentioned, episode 90, uh, we're 10 away mm-hmm. from that century mark. Might not get it before we close out season two. Well, we won't get it before we close out season two, but um, we're going to come back with a banger in season three. Um, but uh, until next week, uh, as always, you can follow Alex at A Hobson Media. You can check out Peter at P Barracchini. You can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes or follow the podcast at Sticks in the Six Pod. That's S T I X I N T H E six. I-X-P-O-D. Find us on Instagram, YouTube, uh, TikTok. We got a little bit of content going there um, as as I get familiar with that platform. But uh, getting old, boys, getting old. (laughs) Um, Otherwise, make sure you check us out on any of your favorite podcast streaming uh, services. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of them across the board. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and continue to listen in. Send us your questions as always. Thanks again for tuning in to Sticks in the Six.